So Michael, I've been uh, waiting and waiting to get this get this show on, and you know, been couldn't wait to get to interview you finally. And this is the question that's just been I've been dying inside to find out the answer to: which one, Starbucks or Pete's Coffee? Well, that's an easy answer. It would be Caribou Coffee, which you asked me about. But you know, the company that uh, and and if I had a choice between the two you mentioned, there's no doubt it would be Pete's. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the background of Pete's, of course, is, you know, Pete's is, the people who own Pete's are the same people who originally owned Starbucks. And that's who Howard Schultz bought the company from. And then after their non-compete ran out, they went, they moved and they started Pete's Coffee, which is a pretty good coffee brand. Uh, but they're still a little more of an over-roaster than uh, others. But when we sold Caribou Coffee, we sold it to the same company that owns Pete's. And um, I would say, hands down, you know, Pete still has uh, mm-hmm. stayed to what, what they did in the beginning, which is they're small. They still roast in small batches. They're craft roasters. I think they're very concerned about quality. I think Starbucks has gotten back to that a little bit. But when yeah. you're as big as Starbucks, I mean, it's just you've got to roast a lot of coffee. Yeah. And you're going to end up with a lot of inconsistencies. So. But if you have the opportunity to buy Caribou Coffee, I've been gone from Caribou now since 2012, and I keep trying to replace it, and I'm still drinking it. So it's still the best coffee I've ever had. Are you? Do you still critique, like, when you walk into these stores, are you still critiquing them? Like, just being the former CEO of Caribou, like, is it just like, ah, I have to? <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately, I do that with every retailer. Okay. Uh, and Caribou is a little more frustrating when I see something wrong. But, you know, I do it for my former company when I've been in malls or even mm-hmm. seeing a freestanding Great American Cookie Company. I, I, can't, I can't help myself but to say that, boy, this, this could be better or, you know, they should be doing it this way. And, but I do that, you know, uh, almost with uh, every retailer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only, the only, I guess, place that I ever – uh, walk into that I can't find much to critique or find wrong is uh, probably an Apple store. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> which, 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 you know, you can see by how many people are in those mm-hmm. stores and the fact that everything in that store you could buy online, but yet people still go there because they want that interaction with the intelligent people and the great service that they offer in those stores. Everybody tuning in, Michael J. Coles, everyone, be sure to check him out at mcolesbook.com as well as michaelcoles.com. That's Coles with a C. And uh, as, as well as get his, uh, get his book that's out, uh, Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and Life. And that's available through Amazon and pretty much all major uh, retailers, right? Yeah, pretty much. And it's um, also available on Kindle. And Kindle, yes. Uh, time to get that audiobook too. I was, no uh, there is no audiobook yet. You got you to uh, record it. You got to do I it. Know, got to- I don't know. I know. We're thinking about it. I wish I had done it now, mm-hmm. uh, knowing what's happened with COVID-19. Because, uh, you know, audiobooks have just become so popular. Yeah. And uh, we just we didn't do it. And we probably should have. Yeah, I probably consume like 80, 90% now through audiobooks. Um, wow. But do you, yeah, if you're going to do it, 
there's an option, you know, to get some hire someone to read it or do it yourself. Um, so which which route would you go if you had when you have that choice? I would uh, probably read maybe the introduction to the book and then hire someone. A friend mm-hmm. of mine is an author, and he did one of his books. Uh, he did the audio version of it, and his publisher paid him quite a bit of money to do it, which it's pretty expensive to do. And he said they could have offered him 10 times more money and he would never do it again. Really? (laughs) It's it's very, you know, it's just kind of like you're doing your show. You know, you could make a mistake and you could go on or you could correct it and edit it and move on. But in an audio book, if you make a mistake, they make you go back perhaps as much as two or three pages because the, even though it's digital, yeah. your inflection changes and they don't want any change to be inflected. They want it to read seamlessly. And you can, if you have a break yeah. and you come back in with the break, it's not seamless. You can tell there was a break and they don't want that. So they'll make you go back. It took huh. him what should have been what they said would take a day to do a day and a half was two weeks. Wow. Every every day in the studio for eight hours. I I wonder if that's a, you know, producer or studio sort of rule, you know, that one specifically, because, because then you got some other books. I do listen to a good amount and some you can tell it's like so seamless, perfect, but then some you'll have an author that will read it himself and he'll like critique it and like go on tangents and then come back (laughs) Uh, those are pretty cool too, because it feels like you're listening to like a live version of the book too. And especially if it's like later on, like a year after the book's released, they'll like do updates to a book. So yeah, I probably as fanatical as I am, I probably would be the one to go back and want to read a page or two before, and so it would flow seamlessly. Okay. So we'll see. Well, well, that's well, that's what made you what you know who you are now, right? Like if it wasn't that part in you that always kind of made sure things were perfect, you know, you wouldn't have started the great American cookie company with $8,000 and made it into what it is now. And, you know, as well as caribou, um, et cetera. Yeah. I, you know, I was very lucky in a lot of ways when we started the company, as you said, with very little money mm-hmm. and my attitude, I, I was mentored very fortunately when I was 13 years old by a guy named Irving Sattler, who was just a fanatic about customer service. And um, his feeling was, is that it's not about, it's not about taking care of a customer at a particular time. It's about taking care of every customer every single time and giving them your complete attention. Even if you were, and there were times we would be waiting on three or four different customers. Those three or four customers did not know that the other customers that even existed because every customer had our full attention when we were with them. And so we tried, you know, to do that in a chain, you know, which as many as 400 caribou, it was over, you know, we got it up to over 500 stores, 600 stores. Mm -hmm. And it's about doing it, giving a customer every single time that same kind of great service so that they want to come back. You know, it's, it's like, you want to create that cheers atmosphere, you know, where people, we used to have a saying at Caribou, which was, you know, when a customer came in more than one time, 
by the second or third time, if you didn't know their name, you had to know their D- DNA, which was their drink normally asked for. And I have huh. to give my wife credit for that. That's great. Uh, I was going to say, or, but, or they get fired, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Just so, you know, you'd walk in and say, hey, you're my uh, medium vanilla latte, you know, and then later you learn their name. But when you can make that kind of strong connection uh, with a customer, they're coming there for more than just that cup of coffee. Yeah. They're coming there for that whole interaction. Hmm. And do you think that as, as I know we're kind of jumping around, but as you were uh, running Caribou, for example, and then you guys became bigger and bigger and eventually, you know, got listed on the, on the stock exchange. Did you feel like you started losing control of that feel, you know, cause there's so many different stores, so many inputs <clears throat> coming in at that point. So um, I started, I created a formula, uh, which I've used really throughout my career, which is, uh, it's in my book. It's, uh, it's a capital, it's a capital uh, letter P, like Paul, P plus E plus S, letter S. And then there's an equal sign and it says uh, capital E with a small F under it. And it stands for uh, product plus environment plus service equals the experience factor. And what you, anybody who's taken algebra, it's been a mm-hmm. long time since I've taken algebra, but anyone who's ever taken algebra knows that if you change any part of an equation, you don't get the same answer. Mm-hmm. And, and especially at Caribou, we had a lot of young people who most had just taken algebra. Uh, it was easy to explain to them that if you want a great customer experience, you have to do all three of these things. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you give them a great product and you give them a great environment, but it takes them 15 minutes to get their cup of coffee, they're not coming back. They didn't get that experience factor. Or if you give them a fast cup of coffee in a very clean environment, but your service uh, was terrible, you know, then, or the product was terrible, rather, uh, they're not going to come back. So it was about going for 100% customer satisfaction every single time. And we try to put things in place where we would have customers review things and try to see whether we're keeping up pace. You're not going to do 100%. It's just not going to happen. No business can operate at 100% satisfaction. But you know what, if you ask for 100%, you're going to get a lot closer than if you ask for half. Right. Huh. So. No, that's, that's, that's very interesting stuff. And um, now kind of, you know, with what's happening and as we're recording this episode today, you know, we're still all in <clears throat> lockdown. Um, there's a shelter in place. You know, it's a crazy time with COVID-19 and uh, the virus out there. How do you think um, you would have been running these stores differently you know, if you were in charge uh, now, like what would you be doing and what would you be telling your employees during these times? Well, more, I, first of all, you'd have to be saying to them, obviously you'd be in a drive-through business, right? Yeah. You'd be, you wouldn't be, or you'd be bringing out to the curb or whatever, however you might decide to orient business. More than likely with Caribou, with almost all of the stores having drive-throughs, you'd be doing it that way. But I think what you'd have to come up with is just basically show how you, because we did that anyway. Mm-hmm. If you were coming through the drive-through with Caribou, even in normal times, we were, in fact, enhancing that visit as an example. If we saw you had a dog in the car, 
we would give you your drink and put a little dog biscuit on uh-huh. top of it so that there was you were uh-huh. taking care of your dog. Uh, if you were coming through and had a baby or a child, uh, that you'd give this something for the for the kid mm-hmm. if it was okay with the mom. Uh, you'd you'd want to just make sure that even though these are different times, they're still appreciative of the customer coming through, and you still want to make uh, that that visit something special. You know, there's a great term out of New Orleans. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called lanyop. And lanyop so. is a, it's a New Orleans term. And what it means, it's Cajun. And what mm-hmm. it means is give the customer, well, it doesn't necessarily the customer, give somebody something unexpected, something huh. a little special, mm-hmm. you know, just a little thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. As an example, at Caribou, if you order um, any type of specialty coffee, we always put a little chocolate-covered espresso on top of the lid. Now, we don't have to do that, but that little chocolate-covered espresso is just a little bit of land. Oh, I remember just that. Something, just something a little special, something unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the, especially in these times, people really appreciate that more than ever. And if you're, you know, look, I would be telling the stores, look, we should be extraordinarily appreciative of people that are getting out of their house and still wanting to have that caribou experience. So we've got to make sure we really treat them in an extra special way today. It's great advice, but and and uh, definitely something that um, you know more places should be doing, right? Because that that does go such a long way. Like I could just imagine. I I, I do miss I do miss caribou. I'm not gonna lie, I do. Like that was yeah. one of my places growing up. That's where I took all my dates. I remember <laughs> I didn't go to Starbucks. <laughs> I went to caribou. Yeah, but uh. Well, I- I hear you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it back. You know, once you sold the company, obviously a company can do whatever they want. They made a lot of mistakes, um, not realizing how powerful that brand was in Chicago, as an example, uh, that people who were loyal caribou customers were really loyal caribou customers and we're not going to go to pete's yeah like uh, that, that was my next part to it like i will not go to pete's i gave it like two chances or three and that was it uh they they lost me yeah. whatever they were doing was not the same the menu changed they, they lost me um but uh for say so say like now with the employees that you had you know back then for example um you know at the malls you know the ones that actually are losing their jobs now and there's no replacing them at the moment. What, what would you tell all those? Cause there was probably a ton of those too. You know, uh, what's some word, words of advice you'd tell those employees? Well, that, you know, it'd be more difficult. Uh, the cookie company actually would be different because uh, the cookie company itself does not have 500 employees or more because it's a franchise business. So the individual franchisees can in fact apply. Yes. for some of the stimulation uh, program that's going on. Caribou is a whole other story because Caribou has probably now, I mean, I was there, we had 10,000 employees, probably 25,000 employees now or more. <laughs> so they would not be uh, eligible. I, I would just have to, you know, you, you'd want to try to hold on to as many people as you could. Hopefully Caribou would be in a cash position to be able to pay a number of their full-time employees and the other people you would just hope that you know they could file for unemployment regular unemployment and stay above water and hopefully you know when this 
this is over at some point. Yeah. Uh, you know, things get back to normal, they, they could get them to come back uh, to Caribou because it's a, it's a, you know, these are, listen, listen, this is a tough time. Yeah. And the problem with this is that we know there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's kind of like going through a tunnel that's on a curve. You just mm-hmm. can't see the light yet. At some point, we're going to start making that turn around the corner and we're going to see the light and the light's going to continue to get closer and closer. What I encourage people to do now that have a lot more free time on their hands mm-hmm. than they probably dreamed of. And now it's become a nightmare as opposed yeah, to right. a dream, uh, in a lot of ways, because there are a lot of pressures on a lot of folks still need to get outside, stay six feet apart, self distant, you know, good self distancing from folks, but get outside, look around, you breathe it for clean air. Right. Uh, don't stay locked up in your house. You can still, get out for walks you can look you know you can ride a bike you can do a lot of other things and try to find something every day in the news that's positive instead of looking at you know how many deaths and it's a horrible thing to look at mm-hmm. but there are an awful lot of people that are surviving this. yes uh, the numbers of survival are tremendous uh and hopefully you know we're going to get we'll get through this we're going to be different it's going to be a different world uh, a lot of people are going to learn they can actually can operate without going to an office. I think you're going to see yeah. more and more people That's interesting working to from home. And, um, but we'll get through this. You know, this is an extraordinary country with extraordinary people. And we'll come out the other side different, but we're going to come out the other side. Do you foresee some sort of jobs going away completely? For, is that, like, there's like a group of people that should probably start looking elsewhere and trying to learn new things to do? Well, I think that that's something that people should be thinking about all the time, whether Mm -hmm. there was a coronavirus or not. There are definitely uh, jobs that are disappearing. But, you know, this is also a tremendous opportunity uh, for uh, folks to think about retraining. I mean, I guess if I was into it, I'd try to probably find maybe even a course that teaches code and learn how to be a coder. I'm sure you can. there's courses to do that. Uh, you know, those jobs are not going away. Not anytime uh, soon, no. <laughs> <laughs> and they're high paying, they're very yeah. high paying jobs. So there's a big opportunity, I think, for people today while they are at home to be thinking about their future and maybe saying, you know what? I've got all this time right now that I never thought I was ever going to have uh, to possibly learn a new thing or two or uh, maybe think about moving, you know, maybe this is a time where you want to change cities. But, right. um, uh, this, and I know that, look, I, I have three kids, they have kids, and they're, you know, all of a sudden, they've had to become teachers and other mm-hmm. full time cooks and all the other stuff that goes into it. But there's still more uh, available time than ever before to kind of sit back and do some self evaluation. And I know that's not for everyone because there are a lot of people right now that are just struggling every day to get from one end of the day to the other. But, uh, but life will go back at some point to normal. Uh, but the problem right now is just nobody can tell you when. Do you, are you doing anything differently right now? Like how has it pers- personally affected you in your life? Um, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. Uh, sure. Um, you know, I, I, well, what are you, uh, are you Dr. Phil here? I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, right. we want to know. We're interested. We want to know what Michael J. Coles is up to nowadays. All right. Well, here, here's the thing. I, yes. I mean, I'm taking, I've taken this time to realize that um, I also want to figure out what I want to do on the other side. I was, I've been, I wrote my book. Uh, it took a little over two years to write it. It came out in October of 18. Mm-hmm. I really thought by, you know, January, February of 2019, it would have run its course. Um, the book took off and it's, it's had done a real, had done really well. And, uh, I was having, uh, the opportunity to speak to business groups and, uh, nonprofit organizations, but, you know, chambers of commerce and rotaries and, but a lot of big companies as well, uh, bringing a message or, or my message from the book and all of that came to a dead stop in March. And I had 19 speaking engagements booked between mm-hmm. the middle of March until uh, the middle of June. And then I had another 30 talks wow. from September on. All of it's canceled. Everything even after it, September? Even after September, because wow. a, lot of, a lot of these companies um, who have to make hotel bookings and health and airline reservations you know, the airlines have been great about not penalizing you for making a change, but they're not giving you back your money. Yeah. So, so I, a lot I of these, see that. Right. That. So a lot of companies, they didn't want to wind up having laid out all that money and have it just sitting there, not knowing when they could bring their, their folks together. So, yeah. So a lot of it's, I mean, there's still a few things on the yeah. books, but so what I've been trying to think about now, not knowing when this is going to happen, you know, through social media and how can I continue to get a message out? And so as a matter of fact, I'm having a meeting today and I'm having a meeting on Monday uh, because, you know, I didn't write my book to boast about my career. I honestly, I did not. I wrote this book for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to motivate people uh, to be able to think, to think about doing more than they possibly thought they could using my own personal life mm-hmm. uh, as an example, not about things that failed, but actually setbacks that I was able to learn from and move forward on. And, and as I've told so many people, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, and it's not just about business. My book is not about, it's about business, but it's not just for people in business. It's about how, about leading your life, about lifting yourself up from whatever you may be going yes. through and being able to move on. And so that was the purpose of the book. And I've had wonderful experiences with folks that have read it, that have sought me out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's made me feel, you know, that the book was a worthwhile endeavor. And so I want to keep it going. And I've just got to figure out now, how, how do I, you know, look, you're in business, you know, this as well. You deal with a lot of people, momentum, you know, pushing that ball yes. up the hill and getting momentum going is very difficult. But backward momentum, that ball rolls back down really fast. Yes. And, That's and an amazing so, analogy. I, I love yeah, that. And, and wow. so, you know, I want to just keep pushing that ball back up the hill. Huh. And uh, so for everyone, that, that's the book is Time to Get Tough, in case you missed in the beginning. Time to Get Tough. Uh, be sure to check that out. Make um, sure you give the rest of the subtitle, because there is another book oh, titled okay. Time to Get Tough. Uh, that was written by some guy named Donald Trump. 
Yes, actually, I did see that. So <laughs> time to get tough. How cookies, coffee, and the crash led to success in business and life. There you go. Yeah, yeah like that. <laughs> but how does, how does this uh, – actually, was that strategic? I'm curious. Did, you, did the book come out after or before? No, it, can't, it did come out after. We had went through uh, a number of – the working title of the book originally uh-huh. – was um, uh, taking on Goliath because as people have read the book, will see that there's a theme of yeah. uh, of Goliath that runs all because that's been a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, but the publisher, you know, publishers get to voice their opinion, and we went through about five or six iterations of titles. And my co-writer Catherine Lewis one day came up and just said, you know, because there's a whole story in the book about time to get tough where um i guess people who don't know so so uh, it was after um uh, another accident where i broke my collarbone and i wanted to get back up on the bike and start training again and it was extraordinarily painful and i could barely i mean i was i had been used to being able to stay on my bike for 24 yeah. straight hours and this time i got on the bike i couldn't even stand for 50 60 minutes and so throughout that first time back on the bike, I kept saying, you got to get tough. It's time to get tough. It's time to get tough. And so when I got off the bike and was getting ready to train again, I had these little signs made, T-T-G-T. And I put them on my bike. I put oh, them in my okay, car. Okay. I put them in the refrigerator. I put them uh-huh. uh, in the bathroom. I put it everywhere in my life, all around my office, my crew. Everybody got them to put up everywhere. Because everybody, we all had to focus on the fact that the next time was going to be a lot harder and I was going to mm-hmm. have to train a lot harder. And so that TTGT became a really important mantra for me. And so um, at any rate, I, we can talk about that story. But, but my, public, my, my co-writer, she finally said, why don't we call the book Time to Get Tough, How Cookies, Coffee, and a Crash Led to Success in Business and Life? And I said, don't you think that's kind of a long title? She said, yeah, but if, you know, if people read it, they'll kind of get an understanding of what the book's about. And oh, my yeah. publisher loved it. You know, the publisher loved it. And so mm-hmm. that's how the title came about. You think it's helping now with the, with the other book, same titles? It could be, right? A little bit? I don't know. I don't, I don't really <laughs> pay any attention to it. I, I, would, uh, I would say that his book has probably outsold mine only because of who he is, you know? So, yeah. Um, but I was, I've never been focused on that. I, mm-hmm. You know, I would just hope... It's about getting the message out. It's about getting the message out. That's right. But there's a lot... I, I Actually, I read the other book. And, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> How I can wrote you not, right? Book. I wrote a better book. <laughs> How can you not at that point, right? Yeah, <laughs> you're, exactly. you're so committed. But, uh, you know, it, it, you just spoke about, you know, these dark moments we're going through, dark moments you're going through. Like that's, that's wow. I, I did not know, you know, you had to cancel so many events and I can't imagine what you're dealing with, but how does this compare to other dark moments, you know, in the past? And I, I've know you, ha- I've know you have plenty, you know, is there another one that compares to what's going on today? Sure. So let me, let me just give the listeners a little background. Um, we started the cookie company in uh, 1977 with only $8,000. Uh, and we grew the company from 77 uh, to 1998 to over $100 million in cookie sales uh, when we sold the company. And when people hear that, they probably think, oh my gosh, 
company must have always done well from the very, very beginning. But oh, we had a very hard we had a very hard time finding our first cookie store location. When we finally did, the guy who gave us a lease at a major mall in Atlanta took a big chance on us because we had no mm-hmm. food experience. My partner and I both came out of the clothing business. And on our very first day of business, uh, we virtually almost burnt the mall to the ground because <laughs> after we put our first batch of uh-huh. 300 cookies in the oven, when we were ready to take them out, we realized we had done all this research. You know, we had prepared for everything and we had forgotten to get by oven mitts and we had no way to get the cookies out of the oven. No way. And so, yeah. No. Way. And first so, day, huh? Yeah, first wow. day. And so on that very first day, uh-huh. those cookies literally caught fire in the oven. Uh, the fire department was called out and the mall manager, a guy named Jeff Weil, could have canceled our lease. We were on, we had personally guaranteed the lease. It's 25000 a year for 10 years, a quarter of a million dollars. We had borrowed $25,000 from the bank, uh, personally guaranteed it. Uh, and we could have lost everything on that first day. I might say lost everything, could have lost our homes, our cars, everything, and never had a second day of business because there was a clause in the lease that allowed him to cancel our lease. And so he took a chance on us once again. And of course, after that, uh, you know, we did extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. Um, but six weeks after we started the company, uh, I woke up in a hospital uh, in Atlanta uh, with two doctors standing over my bed telling me that I was going to live, but it involved in a near fatal motorcycle accident. And I would probably never walk normally again. And so I accepted that because I figured it was better than not waking up at all. And I began a, I began a, a rehab program in the hospital trying to learn how to walk again. But about nine months after my accident, I had an incident with my daughter, Taryn, who was three years old at the time, that virtually changed my physical life and my business life uh, forever. We had a steep driveway at our home and she asked me if I could race her to the mailbox and I was on two canes at the time and thought even on two canes I could beat this little kid up the driveway but when I took off to run the pain was just excruciating and it was the very first time since my accident that I realized that I was disabled and before I could make an excuse to her she saw what was going on even at three and she just looked at me and said you know, Daddy, I'm really too tired to run to the mailbox. It about killed me, and I was just devastating to uh, see her do that. And so uh, I began a self-styled rehabilitation program. And I guess if you're going to talk about the darkest moment, that probably right there was the very darkest moment. Uh, I started a self-styled rehabilitation program. What does that, that mean exactly? Well, for I, our listeners, I, I went from. Everything that the doctors and the re- and the PT physical therapist people had given me uh, was basically about doing uh, high reps and flexibility training. And but um, I I had a background in uh, powerlifting and I had been a black belt in karate, and so I knew a lot about stretching and flexibility, and I, I also knew a lot about rebuilding muscle or strengthening mm-hmm. muscle. And it was opposite of what I was being told. So I, when I sold That's my crazy. program, my today it would be different. It okay. would just be different. But so I started, a, I started using heavy weights, low repetitions, 
I started use, doing a lot more flexibility training. And I eventually got to from riding a stationary bike to a regular bike. And at the same time, we built the cookie company to the national success that became over $100 million in sales with hundreds of stores all over the country. I not only learned to walk again, but set three world records riding coast to coast on a bicycle from Savannah, Georgia to San Diego, California. Did that three times, uh, set a record, and then broke my record by over four days. And then in uh, 1989, I joined the four-man team to do the race across America, uh, some 3,000 miles. Our team won the race across America. We crossed the wow. country in five days, mm -hmm. one hour, eight minutes. Uh, it's the fastest crossing of, of America ever by a four-man team on, on a bicycle. So do you split it up and, into quadrants? Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a relay. Yeah, it was okay. a relay. Uh, but we did it, like I said, in five, a little over five days. It's also the fastest 3,000 miles ever covered under human power. And both my records still stand to this day. So, so how much, how much so, did you do in, in that, in your <laughs> one, and, one and a quarter day or whatever? What do you mean? How many, how many miles did you do in that one? Well, if you think about it with the team, uh, did 600 miles a day. Okay. Uh, so that's about, uh. 25 miles an hour uh, on the bike. We each rode six hours a day. Uh -huh. It was broken up. And then at the end, towards the end, when we were still in second place, it was, uh, we just rode whoever felt the strongest, whoever felt the strongest. Got did you, did you take breaks and like sleep? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, was, yeah. Compared to doing solo across the country, it was like being on a bicycle vacation. <laughs> because on my last solo ride, which uh -huh. I crossed the I crossed the country in eleven days, eight hours and fifteen minutes, I only slept twenty two hours in eleven days. The entire time. The entire time. Was it more like sleeping on the side of the road in the tent or we a, hotel? We had a motorhome. No, you followed a motorhome. There's a documentary you? also. If anybody's interested in seeing it, yeah. If you go on, if you go on YouTube and type in Michael Cole's bicycle. Uh, there is a uh, uh, incredible documentary that was narrated by. If you're a football fan, you'll know the name Rocky Blyer uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, who narrated uh, the documentary. It's a pretty good documentary. I'll be sure to check that out for sure. Oh wow! Uh, did, does the record stand to this day? Yes, both both records. Stand. Both records. Has anyone like tried kind of beating it or? Well, the, the Race Across America was set in, in 1989, and the Race Across America goes on every single year. So it's been going on for 30 years since we set the record, and it's never That's been amazing. broken. In that's 30 amazing. Years. Yeah, and it's pretty amazing. What, what kept you going, though? Like, that's what I'm really curious about. Like, during these moments, it sounded like, you know, you, you couldn't walk again. They told you all this, all that. Like, what kept you going, and what made you? Like, uh, yeah, because so, you can say, you know, uh, I'm going to get tough, but without just saying it, what else kept you going? You know, that, and that's, that's really the truth. You know, you can have a mantra, but you know, it's what, it, it's what goes behind it. Sure, you can say yeah. I have time to get tough, but yeah. how do you actually I mean, it's a good it? mantra, but yeah. what else? So look, look, it, you know, being, um, being an entrepreneur or I think succeeding in your life or having mm -hmm. a, a good life. It's not about getting knocked down. Everybody's going to get knocked down. It's a question of how much 
determination do you have to get back up? And how many times are you willing to get back up? So when I was going through my rehab, if I had set a goal to get my legs back to normal, that was my goal. Um, probably never would have made it, but I had little incremental goals, you mm -hmm. know, that gave me the encouragement to get to the next goal. And rehab and learning to walk again at 33 is very painful. And so I had to find a way to know that I was making progress. And when you're riding across the country on a bicycle uh, and you're only getting 22 hours sleep in 11 days, you start from, you know, having big, you know, big, bold goals. Like I'm going to get to the next state line and then you get yeah. tired. So I'm going to get to the next city, county, county line. And then, you know, it's like, then it literally becomes, I'm going to get to the next telephone pole. I mean, because <laughs> as the pain. Yeah. And sleep deprivation starts to set in. I mean, you just have other things you've got to set. If you check these big lofty goals, and this is for anybody out there listening. If you if your big goal out there right now is that I'm just gonna, things are going to get back to normal, but you don't have a way of keeping yourself focused right now on a day to day basis till they get back to normal. You're just going to make yourself crazy mm -hmm. because the, the, you you need to know that there is an end. But you also need to know that you've got to do something until you get to the end. And so for me, um, growing up as a poor kid, I mean, I, you know, I just always knew that I could have a, you know, it's like someone went, <laughs> funny story. So yeah. I, I remember, I remember when I was in my early 20s, I had mm -hmm. a, I bought an insurance policy for my family, life insurance policy. And I was doing okay uh, in my, in my work. and the. Um, Salesman who sold me the policy said to me, So he said, You know, you're doing really well. He said, What's your five year plan? <laughs> and honest to God, I, it was like he may have said something to me in Greek because <laughs> I was like, My five year plan, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my answer was, I said, Let me tell you, so here I have like a, I don't even have a five day plan. My plan is that when I get up tomorrow morning to go out on the road, that my car starts. That's my big plan. <laughs> I love you it. Know? And, and the truth is my, probably at that point in my life, my big goal was to have a new car, just to get a car. I didn't want like a big fancy car. I just wanted a dependable car that could let me go out and do my job. Now, yeah, sure. As my life got better, you know, I started laying out plans, you know, for the future. But then I had some substance to be able to do that. I think there's a, there's a point in your life where you have to understand that sometimes what you've got to just set your sights on are smaller incremental goals that can help you get to the big one, however long that takes. Don't put a time limit on yourself that discourages you because you, you start running out of time. Just do enough every day to give yourself some reward so that you can keep going to whatever that big goal is. It's a great way to look at it. And with that, um, we are going to move on from the first part and segment of our episode. That was great content, everyone. Be sure to check out Michael J. Coles, uh, his website, imcolesbook.com, as well as michaelcoles.com. But now we're moving on to part number two and our listeners' favorite segment of the show. Welcome to the round with no name because they're all taken. So for this segment, uh, Miro is actually going to take off. I can hardly wait. 
but his evil twin Miko is taking over because he is just dying to know more about Michael J. Coles. And without further ado, you're going to get five seconds to answer just a, a string you know, of different questions. We just want to know a little bit more about you, who you are. And here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, what is your favorite book? Um, uh, my favorite book would probably be a book called uh, from a business, a business book would be The Reckoning uh, by David Haberstam. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to find, but if you ever find it, read it. It's, great for, it's a great story about business and life. That was right. more than fun. Sorry. I'll have, to, I'll have to look into it. Yes. Yes. We got to move on. What is your favorite movie? Annie Hall. Annie Hall. Woody Allen. Annie Hall. Okay. Yeah. Great movie. Sounds but that's like hard. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because movies should have categories. Yeah. That'd be my favorite. That's good. That's my favorite comedy. The that's first one that popped into your head. So that's good. Yeah. If you're stranded on an island and I'm preparing you because you just, you never know. Uh, what is the one thing you want with you? Can't be a person. Bicycle. Ha <laughs> ha. You just go in circles all day? Whatever. I love it. <laughs> Got to do something. To stay, either that or a fly rod. Yeah, probably a fly rod. Fly rod. All right. All right. Uh, what do you think about entrepreneurship? Is it a fad? Um, is it a fad? No, I think that entrepreneurship um, is a spirit. And I don't think you have to be born with it. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that uh, people can find their um, excitement about something and then want to take some risk about it and make it a part of their life. and. Being an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily mean you have to make a living from it. You, you can just decide to be an artist and you're an entrepreneur and you're finding a way to get your art out there, your music out there. It doesn't have to be everything that you do. If I handed you $100 right now and you had to hand me $200 same time tomorrow, how would you do it? Um, well, I probably would go find... Um, some um, surgical masks in this day. That's a good one. A hundred dollars worth, and I'm sure I could get two hundred for them. Oh, easy, easy. <laughs> Please let me know. I need some for my workers, actually. <laughs> um, but so we'll be talking after the episode. How do you drink your coffee? Black. Just straight black. Straight black. Awesome. That's 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 the best way. The true real taste. Yeah. How many, uh, how many children did you want? And how many, cause you have three, how many did you want? Yeah, that's a tough question. There's a great story about a couple that goes up, they come, they go up to their room and they come back down and they say, you know, uh, we've decided that we don't want to have children and tonight we're going to tell our kids. That's that's so, that's one so, way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, I would say that uh, I wanted to have three. Yeah, have three. One, three, have three. And I know three, three's uh, a good number. Yeah, three's a good number, and I didn't care about what whether they're boys or girls it mattered to me. 
And, yeah. and if you can start any business right now that you wanted, you had an unlimited amount of money, what would it be? Um, you know, it's tough because I, I spend a lot of my time now on nonprofit work. Yes. I probably would try to, um, I probably try to figure out a way to, uh, feed, feed more people and, uh, that are in need that don't have necessarily access to food and wouldn't be about making money. It would be about just trying to feed more people. If I were looking at a business, um, to, uh, make money, um, I would probably say I'd go, I would want to be back in the gourmet cookie business hmm. uh, with probably not so many stores, but offering just a higher, higher quality cookie. And there, there are some independents that are out there doing it right now, you know, selling cookies for a couple bucks a piece, but they're just outrageous. What's your favorite? I think, oh boy. Um, <laughs> there's a little place in Seattle. Uh, my daughter would have to tell you where it is. It's just a little place in Seattle. It's a, it's a grocery store. And there's they've got one store, and they have it inside this grocery store, and they only sell warm cookies. In other words, you can only get their cookies mm -hmm. when, like 15 minutes after they come out of the oven. That's it. And they're fabulous. Yeah, It's the best one I've ever had. So not one we could really just find anywhere, right? It's just no, there. no. They're, they're all the really great and include and look, Great American has still got a phenomenal product, but there are some outrageous independent cookie stores out there that are selling really expensive cookies. All We've right. got a place here in Jackson. We have a place here in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, called Persephone Bakery, and they probably have one of the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had. All right, I'll mark that one down whenever I there go. There you go. There Can't you wait. Go. All right, Miko is out. Peace. But Miro is back. You survived. Miro survived because Miko let me back on the show. But yeah, thanks so much. That was some great content. We know a little bit more about you. Michael J. Coles, everyone. Check him out at michaelcoles.com uh, or mcolesbook.com. I really want to thank you so much for taking the time out, being on our episode today. And you know, the mic is yours if you have any final uh, um, motivation or any final uh, words for the audience. If you don't, if you don't mind, I do. Um, I would just say this, you know, when I, I said I grew up as a poor kid, my dad went bankrupt when I was 10. And by the time I was 13, I really didn't know at 10 what bankruptcy meant. But at 13, I pretty much fig figured it out because we went from living what I would say, still my dad above his means, but my dad always thought he would bounce back. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, he spent more after his bankruptcy than he should have. And by the time I was 13, his wages were being so garnishy that he was barely bringing home a paycheck. And so literally in the middle of the night from where we live, we moved to Florida, which was a debtor's state, which meant he would, could start to have a salary and nobody could garnish it. And we lived in a pretty nice apartment where we were. We had all of our furniture and all that stuff. So it felt pretty much normal. But when we got to Florida, my parents had sold everything. We moved into a less than 300 square foot apartment, one bedroom. My parents slept on a porch without a, no, it's not even a screened in porch. We had one bathroom. It was, uh, it was a big wake up call. And I remember waking up at 13, almost 13, 
uh, and thinking to myself, I could believe my dad's life would get back to normal and this was just a temporary thing, or I could get a job and uh, try to help my family. And I will tell you, it was not heroic at all to think about the second thing. It was just feeling a responsibility and knowing when I when I took that step, if that's what I decided to do, that uh, my teenage years were going to be a lot different than I probably yeah. thought they would. And I remember thinking to myself, I need a story of overcoming adversity uh, to help and give me some strength. And the story I thought of, which is why the Goliath story runs throughout my book, was the story of David and Goliath and how this small man walked into the valley against this enormous giant who had weapons and armor, armed with nothing more than a slingshot and a few stones and took down the giant. Not only won the battle, but killed the giant. For a lot of people, that's a great takeaway. But for me, even as a very young kid, the first time I ever heard that story, all I could think about was that David had the courage, without knowing the outcome, to step into the valley. And so the words I would leave your listeners is this, is that every one of us, every single day, face Goliath challenges, whether for me it was learning how to walk again, or whether you're going back to school or changing careers, mm-hmm. or now facing with the unknown of this virus. Oh, yeah. Every one of us faces that Goliath challenge every day. And the question we have to really ask ourselves every day is, do we have the courage to take that first step and walk into the valley? Thank you very much. Thank you. That was perfectly put. Mic okay. drop. Yeah. Good look, being forward, with you. look forward to, uh, to seeing what the future has to come and talking yep, again. Same. Yeah. Look forward to talking to you again as well. Take care. Take care. That is all for this episode of Bossed to Boss. Your next step is to visit bossedtoboss.com where you will find proven techniques followed by professionals to help you make that next step. Again, that is Bossed, the number two boss.com. And remember, the time is now. <laughs>